Welcome to Ethios with Bemneti Meskin from ethiospodcast.com. Ethios is a podcast that chronicles the lives and accomplishments of people of Ethiopian heritage and people of Ethiopian influence around the world. It's about what they do, how they got to where they are, and what inspires them. My guest today is Dr. Tedros Masala Gabru, a physician, author, and painter. You have to actually suffer in order to become a physician. I mean, it is suffering. There's nothing, there's no other word for it. And to, to suffer for it, you have to believe that on the other end, you're going to get something that's going to make it all, all worth it. Dr. Tedros Masala Gabru is a plastic reconstructive surgeon. He received his bachelor's in medical anthropology and biology at Stanford University in California. He attended medical school at the University of California at San Francisco, after which he went on to do his residency in general surgery at the University of Arizona in Tucson. Dr. Tedros Masella went on to do plastic and reconstructive surgery at the University of Illinois in Chicago, as well as a one-year fellowship in reconstructive microsurgery at Changang University in Taiwan. He currently lives in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia, and is the founder of the Icon Center of Special Surgery providing plastic surgery, vascular surgery, and general surgery services. He is currently in the construction phase of a new surgical center, as well as a training fellowship in Addis Ababa. In the little spare time that he has, he paints and he writes non-fiction books in the area of practical philosophy. He just completed his first book, which will be coming out later this year. The name of the book is called Wisdom, Revelations in the Quest for Life Success. This is the first part of a two-part interview with Dr. Tedros Masella. This is the second part of a two-part interview with Dr. Masella. To listen to the first part, please go on www.ethiospodcast.com or subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or Google Play Store. And every day I come home, I would feel profoundly um, depressed. Um, and I would consider... You know, I would have feelings essentially of why live? I mean, if this is all I fought for, there's no reason to live anymore. Like, and I couldn't make sense of it. So, I, and I tried. I'd you know, I'd take I'd take a vacation. I'd go to Costa Rica. I'd go to some place, whatever. I'd run every day, trying to trying to figure you know what it is that's ailing me. And um, this just kept on. It just got worse. It's not, I, I didn't even have a boss. I mean, technically, um, the chairman was my boss, but nobody took notes of when I came in and when I left. Um, I basically set my own hours. I wasn't overworked. Um, you know, from a conscious outlook, there was nothing about my life or my practice that should have been disconcerting, let alone depressing. And did any of your, did any of your friends or family know that there was this internal kind of no. civil war going on? And, and I no. can't imagine even, even if they did, it wouldn't make sense because from the outside, it seems to have, you seem to have everything in place, everything that anybody would want. Yes, no, nobody, nobody did. And, um, and, I, and I found out nobody did afterwards. I don't know. I don't know if I even communicated it with anyone. Um, it just, it's a feeling that just kind of overwhelmed me from the airport. And, I, you know, and then it just kind of stuck with me. And I knew it was bad. Like unlike previously, this I knew because I went from a very high level of contentment to a very low feeling of discontent you know, within a, you know, a plane ride. So, so I was aware that something bad was going on, but I was not aware of, 
of how bad or why it was bad or how to, to change it. So when it came to renewing my contract, it was a one-year contract initially, you know, my chairman was trying to kind of screw me in for another 10 years. And then he saw my, my face contort and, um, <laughs> and into three years. And I remember carrying that contract with me and I was walking, I, I lived close to Cedars, which was right in Beverly Hills, like a, a couple of blocks away. So I was walking across the street and I, and I have this whiff of putrid urine and, and, and I look around and I see this homeless woman dressed in black plastic uh, in a bus stop, just scribbling something nonsensical. And, um, and I was walking by, I look back at her and I look back at her with envy. And then mm. that struck me. And I was like, why am I, why am I envious of this woman? I mean, here she is, she has no family, she has no friends, she's lost her mind, obviously. You know, she pees in herself and, and just scribbling nothing on paper in a bus stop. And here I am as a plastic surgeon, successful by all means, and, and I'm envious of her. So that question alone made me uh, refuse to sign the contract. And I gave him 30 days uh, in breach of my first contract. I said, you know, I'm just going to take care of the patients that I operated on and I'm out of here. And... Um, and I had contacted my friend who was the board of trustees and we had kind of concocted a business plan to do this, you know, weird uh, medical care slash insurance business that as a business probably would have done very well. But so that got me excited and I wanted to learn how to do this little technique in Taiwan um, again. So at the end of my contract, I, I took the next plane out to Taiwan uh, to the same institution. And the moment I hit Chiang Kai-shek airport, the depression dissipated. I mean, instantaneously. And I'm driving, you know, it's an hour or so drive to, to the hospital. I'm just like, what the hell just happened? Like, I felt like I'd been kind of been run over by a train for like an entire year. And then, and then I just kind of came out of it. And uh, I spent six weeks there. I enjoyed myself. I came back. I was going to do this business. I was afraid that when I hit LAX, I was going to be depressed again because I didn't know why I was depressed in the beginning. And I did remember that I'd read this article uh, on the Eva uh, Airways uh, in-flight magazine about this American guy, an expatriate, who had returned to the U.S. from Taiwan and had explained how he, he had been depressed for six months and it just kind of, and he never figured out why and it just kind of dissipated eventually. And that's kind of thought what what I thought I had had. So I was afraid that the second return was going to be the same thing. And uh, when I returned, however, I had no such feeling. So I started to put the things in motion to set up my business. And I noticed I was just becoming increasingly hesitant. I, I didn't want to move forward. Um, and it took me another couple weeks, three weeks, four weeks. And then it just all made sense. I said, you know, Lack of money was never my problem. So having more money, making more money is never going to be a solution. So I quit my business uh, plan and I decided at that moment that I said, you know what, I need to figure out exactly what I went through. I need to figure out exactly, you know, what the hell I'd experienced all throughout my life. Nothing seemed to make sense. I mean, what I, what I thought was my success felt like a failure. What I thought I'd failed, I'd actually won. I mean, everything seemed topsy-turvy. Um, and I didn't have any, 
uh, I, I didn't have anything to look to to say this is the way, meaning I looked at all the physicians that I knew of or knew directly, and every single one appeared to be profoundly unhappy. I couldn't find one physician that I could say, okay, wow, you, you know what's going on. You, you're, you look happy. You look healthy emotionally and physically. You know, what's your secret? So I, I, I said, you know what? I, I don't have any debt. Um, I don't have any obligations. I didn't have a family of my own. So how about I just stop? I cease, desist, and um, take time off to think and figure you know, out what I'd experienced um, and, and see what happens. So that's what I did. And where did you go to do that? No, I stayed in Los Angeles. Oh, you did? I didn't want to run away from, you know, from, from LA. I said, you know, I need to be happy where I am. I need to be content where I am. And um, I didn't want to run away to any place. I, I, didn't, I didn't think... It was something special about Taiwan that made me happy there, and something bad about the U.S. that made me, you know, unhappy there. So, I need to stay put and figure it out. So I stayed in Los Angeles, essentially for the next two years. Exactly for the next two years, um, I had figured I'd saved up enough money. I couldn't live, you know, three, four, five years off of it. I mean, you know, low expense, and I knew, and I also tested the limits. Um, of how poor can I live without suffering? Um, and so I felt as though I, I could afford the time, whatever it is that's necessary, um, in order to rethink and reconfigure my mind as to how to live life in this world um, with contentment and happiness uh, as its foundation. So, um, uh, that's what kind of took me a full two years to begin that process appropriately. What were those two years like? What were you doing? Uh, I mean, did, were you reading a lot? Were you, uh, were you involved in activities? What, what, what took up the time? Um, well, the first few months, I would say I, I started to read a lot. Um, so I read a lot of philosophy, history, autobiographies, and the like. Um, and in the meantime, now I've, I've I've continued writing my book. Now my book started out, you know, in Taiwan. It was a very angry book. I had titled it "Anatomy of an Asshole." And, <laughs> Did you really? <laughs> and um, <laughs> and and by this time, I mean, it took me about a year to write one draft. And by the time I'd rewrite the draft, you know, it became much less angrier, less <laughs> angrier. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so, it, you know, I, I read a lot as much as I could, and but I found something was missing. I mean, there, there are a lot of great philosophers in record, but their philosophy appeared not to be so great. Um, you know, they would say things to sound good so that so they can be quoted as so and so said this. But like, what the hell does that mean? What does, you know, what does not kill you makes you stronger? What the hell does that mean? That, is it really like that? How do you how do you know if it makes you stronger or does it make you weaker? Does it make you feel stronger? Does it make you more? I mean, there are a lot of basic questions that they never seem to answer because it's all theory. They're they're theorizing through observation. So it took me, uh, I'll say, about three to six months before I switched over and said, you know what, I need to figure out things on my own. So the first 
you know, within that period of time, I thought, you know what, I need to experience or have different experiences in life. So I concocted a plan to take about $1,000 in my pocket and uh, take a beat up car and drive down all the way down to Patagonia and then take a ship somewhere to wherever it goes and, and go around the world um, through forest or jungle or desert or whatever and see what life experiences I may be able to gain from this. And, um, and so I basically gave away most of my furniture. I, I basically disbanded everything. And, um, uh, but right before I would go on my journey, uh, I decided that I would kind of give thanks to, you know, my American mother, Marsha. So I decided, you know what, I'm going to, she's always loved my company. So, and I've loved her. So how about I stay with her? Um, you know, she was living alone in, in, in LA. So for a couple of months, you know, make her feel happy and, and give her thanks, you know, for all she had done for me. And, um, you know, as soon as my welcome wears out um, uh, or three months, whichever came first, <laughs> I was uh, going to go on my uh, journey of a thousand steps. So, you know, kind of I moved in with her. Um, and in the process of living with her, you know, we really had a great relationship. I mean, it was just, we went into this great rhythm uh, together. And um, uh, at the same time, as I was writing and rewriting my book, I learned something significant, which was, you know, I already actually had enough experience. And every time I, I wrote about it and I analyzed it, um, that experience itself actually would change form and, and shape. Um, that rewriting it, rereading it, you know, reading something else, correlating my observations with, you know, with what I experienced, um, I hadn't been done with it. I it was a, it's a huge process, and it, and that process alone was extremely educational. So I felt as though I shouldn't be traveling anywhere without first understanding my previous ex life experience fully, um, and. It took me a number of times, a number of editions, which has continued actually to this day before I could get to the point where I say, okay, now I understood, you know, the full ramifications of this experience or that experience. Um, and it's as though I was reliving my life over several times in different ways, in different textures. Um, and uh, I didn't feel the need to travel. Now, at the end of it, at the end of those two years, I thought, okay, well, maybe if I'm wrong, maybe a different life experience would be able to teach me something. Uh, I decided to go to the Shaolin Temple uh, in China. And one of my um, uh, theories was, you know, whether pain is something that may make me unhappy. Because uh, those two years, I could say, were... Um, emotionally the, the healthiest I've ever been in my entire life, without a doubt. Um, I was brighter than I ever was. I was physically healthier than I ever was. Um, I was thoroughly contented to the point where I thought there'd be nothing in this life that could uh, even disappoint me at the slightest. I, I had felt I had developed this mental martial arts that had made me an emotional Jedi master. So I felt, okay, pain may be the only thing. So let me go to, to uh, Kung Fu 
studio in, in um, Shaolin, the origin of Kung Fu, and see if the grueling workouts and fights and all that stuff that I used to see on TV, uh, <laughs> on movies as a kid in Ethiopia, <laughs> would, you know, prove otherwise. So I, you know, I did the same thing. I just, you know, took the next plane out without knowing exactly how to get there. Um, to go there with the prem on the premise that if I liked it and I found some great wisdom there, I would stay there indefinitely, you know, years if necessary. And if I didn't, I'll, I'll return and I'll, you know, continue with my plan to return to Ethiopia. And did you find, so, uh, did you find what the wisdom that you're looking for there? So I went to the Shaolin temple. Uh, again, I think I may have been the first, uh, <laughs> the first everything. So I think I was the tallest person there, the oldest person there. Um, the only American, maybe they've seen Americans before, but, uh, the only Ethiopian, the only African, the only black, the only, you know, the only physician, you know, whatever you call it, I was a complete anomaly. But I want to so understand, I, I want to understand how you even got there. Like what I'm, I, I'm assuming this is before you can Google search Shaolin temple and <laughs> find and go there. So how your discovery of of the location even what what was that process like uh exactly i i googled it <laughs> and uh i i saw where this german had put his recommendations and he i mean his uh, evaluation and he said pain 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 says, that's all you should expect by going to the shaolin temple <laughs> <laughs> so i said i'm going that's where i'm going <laughs> and um and i i just looked on a map and the closest airport was Zhengzhou. So I said, okay, I'll take the next plane. I went to Beijing, from Beijing to Zhengzhou. And then I asked the hotel, I just dropped off. I walked to some hotel. I spent the night. I asked them how to get to, you know, uh, the next city that looked close to Shaolin, which was Dongfu. Um, and then the bellboy walked me a couple of miles uh, to a bus. He talked to the bus driver. And um, and I went through the the Chinese countryside for six hours. I didn't know whether he was where he was going to drop me. Uh, he dropped me from the city, and then he told some taxi driver to take me somewhere. I don't know. My language is bad. They're bad, you know. And um, the taxi driver asked me where I wanted to go. I keep telling him Kung Fu Shaolin. He just doesn't understand. <laughs> then he drives around, and then he picks up this girl, and I'm like, no, that's not what I asked. And uh, <laughs> Apparently, she was the only English teacher in the town, so she was able to translate, and uh, she asked me where, where I wanted to go. I said, I want to learn Kung Fu, and she's, you know, so they go around, they pick up two other guys, and then they're having this conference about what they're going to do with me, and uh, and then she asks me, what kind of Kung Fu? I said, what the hell? Are there different types? I don't know, <laughs> and uh, I said, how about Kung Pao Kung Fu? And <laughs> none of them laugh, and... Um, but then they said, okay, okay, we decide. And they, they drive me for about an hour or so to the Shaolin Temple. And, um, and I was about to give him $20. And he said, no, he took $9 as a payment for all that time. And uh, so that's how I found the Shaolin Temple. Wow. And um, uh, so, you know, I started the process of training there. There were a bunch of, there were like maybe five, six foreigners, Germans, Austrians, Russian. And... Um, so I kind of semi-befriended them, uh, but I found myself actually playing with the kids. There are tons of children there, and uh, so 
they were quite amazed that this that the color of my skin wouldn't you know scrub off i mean they really tried their best to scrub it off and um uh but we'd pl i'd play soccer with them you know i you know we'd f had a lot of fun with them um but wisdom there really was none i mean it was just basically a hoax i felt as though i can teach myself whatever martial art i wanted that i don't i didn't need an instructor and um after a couple of weeks you can read the chapter and you'll be quite entertained with my my basic experience there. But <laughs> um, after a couple of weeks, I realized there's really nothing to be learned there. And I and I returned back to Los Angeles to pack my bags and try my next venture, which was in Addis Ababa. And that decision to go to Ethiopia, was that a plan all along? Did you, Is that something that, that you knew that you wanted to do at some point? Or, you know, did you discover that on your journeys uh, my friends all along have always said that I wanted to return back. I don't have any memory of saying that. I've, I've always felt somewhat nationalistic and patriotic, whatever, in a childish sense. But um, somewhere in between of my residency, I'd kind of forgotten all of that stuff. Um, but I made that decision during the course of these two years. Um, the first decision was that uh, on the theory of, I call it the triple like theory, like, likes, like. Um, you know, I've I you know I'd felt incredibly comfortable whenever I'm around anybody who who simply looks like an Ethiopian. I don't even need them to be an Ethiopian, but I found a, a biological you know closeness with something that looks closer to me. So you know, I, in terms of biology being my major guide for my philosophy, I felt you know what you know there's something to be said for living amongst people who look like me. Um, and number two, you know, I, I would come and visit. Within those two years, I came to Ethiopia about four times uh, to see what I can do and, you know, how I could do it and, and, and all that stuff. And, um, you know, one of my decisions was, my first decision was to, to quit being a physician. I thought continuing my career as a, as a surgeon or as a physician in the United States um, uh, was not amenable to a, the good life. Yeah, in my new definition, that I knew that I could not be happy as a physician in the U.S. Um, I, I saw no example of it, um, and I and when I figured out, you know, the particulars of what made you happy and not happy, I said, you know, this thing ain't happening. You know, to hell with uns, you know, sunken costs. I'm done with with the field as a whole. Um, so when I decided to come to Ethiopia, I said, you know what, I can practice medicine in Ethiopia because the system is not as oppressive as the system in the U.S., so there's a possibility that I may learn how to practice medicine in, in Ethiopia um, and be able to maintain my my level of contentment. Mm. So, you know, within those four years, I had kind of decided how and where and all that stuff, um, and I said, you know, I'm going to give it two years. If at the end of two years I don't enjoy it, I don't like it, it's a gut feeling, nothing else, I'm not going to think about it, you know, exactly two years later, I don't like it. I'm packing up my, um, my, you know, not even a suitcase, just a carry-on bag, dropping everything behind, and I'm going to go to Costa Rica because I believe that, that is probably the happiest place on earth. Um, and, and if that doesn't work out, then I'm going to go to Tibet and, and pray the rest of my life with the monks, you know, hitting <laughs> bells and stuff because <laughs> nothing else is 
And that didn't happen because that was close to nine years ago, correct? So that was, yeah, that was about, yeah, nine, ten years ago. And how's it been? What's, what's your experience been like, both good and bad, just so we can, we can understand, um, you know, what you've been doing in the field as well? So if you can give us, you know, a summary of the last nine years. So, you know, the reason why I gave it two years to come to that to Ethiopia was because, number one, I'm, I'm going to start a practice in a country where I've never been, you know, I've never worked in. Number two, I've never been an adult in Ethiopia. So the culture is actually foreign to me. So, you know, I said it's going to take me that long to figure it out because I realized I spent a year in Taiwan and I never, I never really understood the Taiwanese. I, I mean, I, I learned how to comprehend them um, um, without understanding them. I mean, I, you know, I'd read body language, I'd, I'd read the tone of how they said things and all that stuff to see if you know, the person is friendly or not friendly. But I never really understood what made them tick, what, you know, I understood them as human beings, not as a culture. So if in a year I couldn't figure them out, then I figured, you know, in Ethiopia, maybe two years is enough to figure it out. And uh, it took me about a year and a half, I would say, to actually enjoy being in Ethiopia, to begin to enjoy. Um, uh, there are a lot of things that are lost in translation. Um, you know, the, the cultural directive of how to work and how to interact in, in the US, in the West, is completely different um, than that in Ethiopia. And, and um, I mean, to this day, I have, you know, I have even minor revelations about you know, when somebody says something, what does that actually mean? I understand the words, but I don't understand the content. And um, so the first, you know, the first three months, I mean, if I had to make a decision, I would have, whew, I would have run, run out of the country as soon as I possibly could. Um, you know, business-wise, what people, you know, just trying to rent a place alone, the, the hassles you go through, you know, the little bureaucratic stuff, um, you know, people who are supposed to do things for you and all that stuff was extremely challenging because you, you know, I had no footing, I had no solid footing. I, I basically came here alone, nobody supporting me here. Um, uh, and everything everybody tells me is negative. I mean, 100% negative. Um, so, you know, when I tried to get something done, a friend of mine who's been here his whole life would say, oh, if you don't bribe nothing will happen. And I said, I'm not going to bribe to get an ID. I mean, to hell with that. I'm not going to bribe to get my equipment in from customs. Uh, I'm not going to bribe to open up a clinic. Um, and he says, well, you're not going to get anything. And um, so I said, I'll give it a try. And um, worst case scenario, I, I don't get in my ID. I don't get my equipment. I don't get whatever. It's not really mine anyway. It's just these all are all external things. So um, I'd move ahead with my own way of doing things. And I found that pretty much everybody's wrong. Um, yeah, I can get everything that I need, so long as it's legal, so long as it's clean, um, without resorting to bribing or lying or anything of that nature. Um, so, you know, in eventually became a really great education. I mean, an incredible education. I never would have been able to get living in the US because in the US you're trained to be a cog in the wheel. I mean, not even a cog in the wheel, true. a cog in the cog of the wheel. That's true. Um, here, you have to do everything. You're, you're not just the wheel. You're actually the engine, you're the fuel. You, 
you, know, you have to figure everything out. And so the process of learning how to do that um, initially may be scary um, and you don't know what anything means. You don't know when an obstacle comes, you don't know whether that's you know, insurmountable or, or a tiny little bump um, because you have no reference. And, and, it, and it appears to be you know, maybe a bulldozer, but instead maybe it's just a little, you know, a little nudge, a little pebble in your way. Um, so until I figured this out, you know, it took me a fair amount of time. And of course, you know, you'd think that when, as an American trained physician with, you know, the credentials that I had, when you come back here, it'll be relatively easy being able to convince patients to have surgeries by you or institutions to, to, um, you know, consult you and all that stuff. It is actually the, the opposite. Really? It, I mean, I felt as though I'd, I'd be um, better served um, if I had opened up a clinic for the KKK. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, it's just the most amazing initial experience that, I mean, I have to say amazing because I don't know what else, <laughs> however else I could describe it. Um, people thought, okay, this guy must be crazy. Um, you know, he leaves the U.S. and comes back. He mm -hmm. must be kicked out because mm -hmm. he must have you know, sold drugs and got caught and, you know, was deported. Uh, maybe he's not a real physician. He's lying. <laughs> um, maybe he's CIA. Um, you know, he must have lost his mind. Maybe he's schizophrenic. I mean, basically, basically that's how I was described initially. Not like, oh, he really wants to try living in, nothing like that. Right. And um, Because it, it does, honestly, and, and and from an outsider, it, what you did doesn't make sense in a lot of ways to, to abandon a very lucrative, prestigious career to to move to Ethiopia, to try to make it on your own and to to go, go against all odds, especially in a place where reputation is is king. So if if people didn't know who you were, you know, they you're an outsider. Yeah, so so maybe I'm schizophrenic. <laughs> it, it, is, <laughs> it is true. That the mind has no mirror, so <laughs> I'll accept it. You know, I mean, in the end of my book, I say, well, you know, I really don't know because either I or the rest of the world is insane. There's actually, one cannot be without the other um, based on my, my final life decision. But anyway, you know, coming here and setting up, you know, had those challenges. For me, I could care less if I practiced medicine. I could, I could care less if that continued or not. I mean, I've done it. You know, I know the limits of it. Um, you know, um, and I'm, you know, in times I'm, I was also not sure as to the even the benefit of it. Um, you know, when you get to a point where you are able to deliberate, you know, freely without any distractions, um, uh, your mind can go in many different you know, spaces that it never would. So all the assumptions you have about what's right, what's wrong, what's good, what's bad, you know, what's, you know, evil, what's, you know, valuable, what's valueless, all those things vanish into thin air. Um, it's just a matter of time. Um, and you get to a point, or I, at least I got to a point where it was very difficult for me to be absolute in saying, you know, X is good or, you know, or X is bad about any of the things that I was doing. Um, and it's just a matter of perspective. 
because when you look at it in one angle, what looks good in another angle actually has is negative. And it, you know, there's layers over layers to the point where you say, you know what, I don't know, you know, like, I'm just going to go with my gut feeling because conscious calculation is very limited. Um, and to be able to, you know, definitively say, this is the way to go, um, is virtually impossible, I think, for a human mind. Um, and so the way I approached, you know, my, the continuance of my career was, you know, if it's good, if it goes well, I'm happy with it, I'll continue it. If it doesn't, to hell with it. Um, if, if not medicine, I'd open up a cafe. Um, uh, if not a cafe, maybe I'd open up a nursery because I love dealing with kids. Um, and, uh, and if that doesn't work, what, whatever, like, I, I don't, I don't even mind being a beggar. Like it doesn't really, you know, it doesn't really bother me. Um, because physical survival requires very little, you know, for you to be physically relatively healthy requires very little resources. You, you don't have to work you know, even a day, a, a, a week to be able to live. It's the question is, you know, how, you know, the quality of your life and the quality of your life has nothing to do with the materials or, Absolutely. or, or your status or your, you know, you know, all that stuff. So that's how I kind of, you know, went through the process without that mentality. I don't think I would have gone through, you know, I would have endured uh, the initial dating process. I should call it because that was a you know, otherwise a very rough rough goal um most of the physicians who were here had kind of conspired a lot of them you know not to send me any patients and if any patients asked about me would say really negative things mm. and the thing about saying bad things about people is you know those people would come around and, and tell you like oh so-and-so told me this and so-and-so yeah, told true. me this you know and um uh so you know, everybody had estimated that in three months I'd close up shop and 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 return, and that's kind of what they wanted for whatever stupid reasons. Um, and I said I'll give it two years. And as I said, it took me about a year and a half to uh, to start to enjoy it. And whenever I'd kind of get into a funk, I'd just kind of pick up my bags and go to the U.S. And I'd feel refreshed when I go to the U.S. And I'd you know go for a month or two months and come back and continue on. And um, uh, now it's the opposite. Whenever I go to the U.S., you know, <laughs> I go visit friends and family, but I, f I feel the tension that's in the mm, air <laughs> and I rush to come back. <laughs> to Addis. But, um, you know, I, and in the meantime, as I said, I, I keep writing and rewriting my book. I, I, I don't think there's a day that passes without me working on my book, um, which was never really to publish or for whatever, but it is a process of analyzing the meaning of things. And, you know, as I said, with each draft, uh, I would have humongous revelations. I mean, just amazing revelations that made me think either I must have started out really stupid and I'm really dumb, or, you know, there's something great about the process of what I'm doing. Because, you know, every single thing that I'd experienced before um, has completely changed its, its content and its color uh, just because. I thought differently about it. Um, and I understood, you know, even little things that I never understood, like, you know, how come I matched into Arizona, um, University of Arizona coming out of UC San Francisco? I figured it out while I was writing my book, maybe for the 10th time. I figured it out last year. And I it made sense. I finally figured out the political interplay that I that I'd failed to notice then. Uh, 
I would eventually learn that whatever I thought was bad actually turned out to be good. And sometimes whatever I thought was good was actually bad. And to be able to understand your past in that light makes you able to deal with your future with a really broad and powerful perspective. Um, and you know, I, I live here, I'm happy here, I'm content here. Um, I do have some challenges, not significant anymore, but I do have some minor challenges that come along my way, emotional challenges that is. And whenever I find something upsets me. I mean, it upsets me. I mean, I'm talking about very minor, like just, you know, maybe somebody just puts me off in a certain way. It could be for a fraction. I step back, I figure it out, and then that thing will never affect me again. So it's kind of like developing an, an antibody system for every antigen, like the body does. You know, you get an offending stimulus, <laughs> your body learns what that stimulus is, figures out how, you know, creates specific antibodies to fight that virus off or bacteria off you're not going to get that infection again. And that's kind of how I've approached it for the past decade or so. And um, um, and coming here has allowed me to continue to go along that process. The name of your book is Wisdom, which is a, a play on words, W-I-S-D-U-M-B, Wisdom, the Revelations in the Quest for Life Success. Um, it's, it's, it seems a bit of a memoir of your life, and I've only had the pleasure of reading the first chapter. Um, when can we expect this uh, to be available? And um, is there anything that you want to tell the listeners of, of what to expect? From Anatomy of an Asshole. It's a big, big difference. <laughs> the, the 13th rewrite has become... <laughs> it has become actually two books. So... This I, this I called wisdom um, uh, because uh, that is what I see is the greatest challenge of humanity, not just my own life, but um, all of humanity. So everything that I see in the news is a direct result of wisdom, um, people doing things they ought not to do uh, because they are basically wisdom, not being not meaning that they're, they're dumb. You know, I, there are a lot of very brilliant people who are very, you know, wisdom dumb. So, <laughs> um, uh, so uh, that's kind of the basis of, of how I've kind of done this book. I don't know anything about publishing. That's not my, you know, forte. Uh, I'm kind of looking for an editor to kind of... Uh, tie it up, tidy it up, and and make it readable. I, you know, I understand everything I'm writing because I've kind of gone through it. In fact, um, it's gone to the point where I think I'm, re, you know, I, I think I get an original idea to write a certain paragraph, and then I write it, and then I look further down, and I wrote the exact same thing in the exact same way. <laughs> so I, at that point, I realized, okay, there's nothing more I can add to that. So, you know, whenever that process is of trying to get it published is through, it's, it's going to come out. I don't know. And then, of course, there's an offshoot to this book because I thought Anatomy of an Asshole was actually a good title, but I, I, sort, I, I shortened it to call it Anatomy of an Ass. And, um, <laughs> and I wrote that as an anthology of a subspecies I've termed Homo Asinus. Um, we are Homo sapiens, and then there's the the common donkey called Aquus asinus, and wisdom is basically what differentiates Homo asinus from Homo sapiens. 
and it's a it's a it's, <laughs> it's a short uh, documentary uh, on um, uh, uh, using again a, a play on words uh, to describe um, this aspect of our humanity. So, uh, in this essence, uh, that I hope to self-publish uh, soon. So I don't know when it's going to come out, but uh, it will come out at some point or another. Fantastic. So what's what's next? What's next for you? What what do you see on the horizon? Uh, well, the only sure thing I'm sure about is death. But until then, <laughs> death and taxes. <laughs> death and taxes. Um, but uh, uh, for, you know, for me, I don't have any. I don't have any goals. There's no light at the end of the tunnel. I'm not in any tunnel. Um, I try to enjoy my day every day, not as an investment. To me, every day is not an investment, but it's just, you know, it's, it's, it's like a script, a movie script. I'm enjoying that day for what it is. So, you know, I'm building a hospital, uh, um, uh, a, a, small, a surgical center. So that is a, a learning process. We're almost done with that. Um, I want to be able to recruit other physicians um, from abroad uh, who have similar feelings about wanting to return to Ethiopia um, and, you know, otherwise, you know, like me, like, I, you know, don't want to go through the resistance of the existing um, establishment, so to speak. Uh, I want to be able to open a pathway for them to be able to come and practice if they want to in a way that they that they would like to, um, and in the same time, be able to train young, you know, bright students to take on the craft and take it on further. Um, you know, so that is a general feeling, a general desire that I want to want to be able to accomplish. Uh, so the building should be done within six months, by the summer at least. Uh, maybe I start training within a year. A few people from the States have... Uh, express their desire to come and practice. Uh, that will happen however way it will happen, when it happens. Uh, I'm not in control of that. But, uh, you know, I've got some old professors who profess, who uh, have told me that they want to, you know, have some short periods of, of working and stuff like that. So we'll see. I, I mean, I kind of, you know, I'll see how that goes along. But that's kind of my general feeling towards, you know, my career. Um, uh, I don't mind early retirement if I'm able to train a few people to be able to be to do things really well that I feel good about it. I, I don't mind doing something else. Uh, I want to do art. I want to paint. Um, in fact, you know, I want to. <laughs> I, I did a lot of designing of the of the hospital, so I want to, you know, put up all my paintings around it. Maybe my wife would take them, tear them all down, but. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoy the process of doing that and, um, you know, reading, writing, you know, mm -hmm. uh, spending time with my family, stuff of that nature. Uh, you know, it's not like, you know, my life, you know, when you, my life in the U.S. was all about goals. You know, I had to get X, Y and Z here. I'm just enjoying my life as it is. Um, and I want to keep it that way. My the only thing that I I use as a as a necessity is that, uh, you know, I'm as happy at the end of the day as I am at the beginning. Um, and so long as that is the case, everything else is relatively irrelevant and it will kind of, you know, sort, sort out by itself, um, which so far it has. So, 
that's where we're at. <laughs> so if if the seven year old you, um, the the uh, in the first part of your book you talked about at a very young age you were you were flipping through your dad's books and you would have dialogue about what your father did. If that seven year old you were able to have a conversation with you, what what do you think he would have to say about uh, the life that you've made for yourself? Uh, he would say that I wasted 20 years of it. <laughs> <laughs> Taking life way, way, way too seriously. Really? Uh, I mean, I, you know, I, I enjoyed my life in Ethiopia because I took it very easy. And then when I, you know, when I went to the U.S., my response to that social shock uh, was to develop, you know, into kind of a scarred, um, hypertrophic uh, um, uh, form of interactivity. So I, I became, you know, really ambitious. I, I really, I wanted to make a name for myself. Uh, I wanted to pursue, you know, all the egotistical pursuits that were, you know, that are espoused in the U.S. So, you know, I wanted to be the wealthiest that I possibly could be. I wanted to be the most prominent physician that I could possibly be. I wanted to do research and development and and be well known and respected and all that crap, and and if you have to do that amongst a group of very competitive and capable people, you know you have to be superhuman. And um, I uh, slept very little. I, I mean, I devoted my entire you know energy and and effort towards you know this ambition. I mean, I was I could say I was kind of. Uh, almost, um, no, I was fanatical. I can say I was as, as fanatical as, you know, as one can get. And, um, and that made life really, really, really difficult. And not only did it make life difficult, it actually made it very unproductive. Uh, I'm very unimpressed with my academic achievements during this period of time. Um, I'm very, um, uh, unimpressed with, with my ability to trade, um, effectively, uh, and the times I did, which is I found very interesting, um, very well and I, well enough to impress myself was was when I was not as ambitious. When, per chance, you know, I was kind of laissez-faire and and relatively easygoing, I did much much better than when I needed to do well. So, you know, in that regard, if there's one one lesson I'd impart that seven-year-old, I'd say, you know what, kind of take it easy, you know, do what you want to do, but, you know, don't struggle so hard. <laughs> you know, it's not, life is not that difficult. And if you just take it easy, you'd actually make much better headway than if you're, you know, struggling and strife and all that stuff. Right. Well, the last question that I have for you, and, and thank you so much for the time that you've given us, is um, what advice would you give to any um, students, um, that are thinking about going into medicine, um, students that are studying medicine right now, um, and anybody who's at all curious? Um, well, it, you know, it's difficult to give advice. Um, in Amharic, there's a saying, makaro makaro kalsama makara imkaro. I was never one to receive advice. I, I mean, my, my father considers me really stubborn. I, you know, um, as a as a policy, I usually don't follow advice. There are a few times that people, certain people, had given me really useful advice that kind of resonated and, and I appreciated. But I, you know, those I can count with the fingers on one hand. Um, and I've 
I'm also prone to give advice, and I found that similarly, very few people have 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 taken my advice and 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 you know given their appreciation. Um, if I was to meet myself, you know, 20 years ago, I, I don't know whether I'd be able to convince that idiot anything. Um, <laughs> I, I remember how I was. It's like you know. It's like going to some ISIS member and telling him, dude, you know, you know, why don't you go to Buddhism? Buddhism is the way. Love is the way. And, you know, <laughs> oh, you'll cut off your head. <laughs> um, so I find advice is not tremendously helpful, uh, which is why I kind of wrote the book to kind of, you know, advice. You take a lot of life experience and you bring it down to one sentence. It's meaningless. Um, so the way I wrote the book was basically you know, to to give a, a somewhat of a full picture to explain my conclusions in the end. You know, when I say this is this, where does that come from? Um, uh, a lot of times, a lot of my professors in surgery had complained to me and they one of them eventually, you know, told me, which kind of opened my eyes. He said, you know, so you say something and it's, it's, it seems to come out of left field and I don't know where it comes from until I think about it much later. And then I realize where you got that data to say that. And so why don't you explain the steps before you get there? And, and so this is the same, under the same, you know, advice that I took um, to explain uh, the final conclusion that sounds absurd coming by itself. I mean, I, I look at all these, you know, nifty aphorisms that are written on calendars and, and websites and all that stuff that are absolutely meaningless by themselves. They actually mean nothing. Um, they sound good, and you, you know, maybe you put a poster up like that. You know, be kind, or you know, uh, you know, uh, all this crap that comes along that doesn't explain how that applies in life uh, and where that comes from. And what's the what's the meat behind that uh, structure? And so, you know, it's it's a, it's a, an incredibly difficult process. Uh, it was it was difficult enough for me to understand. You know what I eventually learned to understand. So, and it's even more challenging to get another person to understand what I get to understand uh, about anything. So, you know, I write the book. It's a preamble. I mean, I, it's very contrite. Um, you know, my conclusions at the end are are all whittled down. I don't have. You know, there's not enough room in the book to 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 write because you know one one sentence on something actually took me a long time to to reach and a lot of revisions. To be able to kind of connect, you know, what's in your gut, your subconscious feeling, with what's in your head, your, your conscious mind, and to use your life experiences that you've undergone and things that you've observed to correlate all of that and come up with a basic understanding of what just transpired and and what its ramifications are. Um, you know, I. I could have, t I could tell some somebody who's young, you know, to follow your passions. You, you don't have any passion. You don't even know what your passions are. I mean, I, I thought I, my <laughs> I mean, you think you know, but basically you don't know. I mean, I thought I knew everything when I was age seven, eight, nine, ten, you know, and and it's only now that I truly know that I don't know Jack. Um, and so, it, any of my edicts, whenever I think about something, I don't get really caught up on it because I know it's an imperfect knowledge. Um, and my guide always is my gut feeling now. You know, I, I'm trained to think by my mind, to use my mind to think and calculate, but 
I don't trust it because I know that whenever my gut feeling tells me something, it's always correct. And the flip side, I have to also differentiate my gut feeling from my from just useless emotional, you know, fear, greed, you know, things of that nature. That's emotional reaction to something. Those are superfluous. Those are irrelevant and useless. Um, but your subconscious mentality comes through um, as a gut feeling. So you meet someone and your insight tells you, ooh, you know, before the guy even speaks, you're just like, whoa, this guy is something wrong with this guy or there's something great about this person. That is your gut feeling that you should always trust. Um, so if somebody says, you know what, I, you know, I love medicine, I, I, love, I love the idea of, you know, cutting through skin and, <laughs> and taking out parts of the intestine, you know what, go for it. But if internally it feels disgusting or you don't like it and you don't like that process um, and you still want to go ahead anyway because you think that you're going to be uh, have a higher s social status because of it or it's going to mean more in your life, um, you're going to get rewarded in the end, that's never going to pan out. Um, and, and, and if you follow your gut feeling, I mean, I, you know, here I, I may be just spitting into the wind here. Um, but if you follow your gut feeling, like when I came here, I basically had forsaken the pursuit of, you know, money and career and all that stuff. And, you know, if, as far as anybody, including myself was concerned, basically I'd kind of thrown off my, my previous life into a state of non-existence. And, um, and, and irrelevance. Um, but things don't work out that way. It's not what you think. So I come here relatively egoless, very unassuming, start a small clinic, and I could not make my, my practice any more successful anywhere in the world with any different mentality. Uh, I mean, I look at the most successful physicians that I know in the US, um, and I don't think they have a millimeter of what I have here. I mean, I'm not talking about, you know, financially and all that stuff, whatever, but the total package of what you want to get out of the practice of your craft. Um, and for something that I'd kind of forsaken to be able to gain it in the way that I could not have imagined, you know, is very educational in and of itself to teach you to kind of follow your gut. Don't calculate. Um, and if somebody likes medicine, they're interested in medicine, you know, the science behind it, the practice of it, you know, go observe other people who are in practice of it. Don't listen to them, but just kind of observe. Um, and if that kind of is attractive, um, then go for it. If it's not attractive, dump it. Um, you know, there's, there's nothing in anybody's DNA that says you have to be this profession or that profession that you have to have this or that. All of that is just completely in your mind. It's contrived. What you think you get out of it is not what you're going to get out of it. Uh, but if it's something that you enjoy doing, you know, uh, it's something that you would persevere in doing it. Um, uh, at the very least, you'll suffer less for doing it. <laughs> and I, and I, most of you, you may enjoy doing it. Um, <laughs> but maybe I'll say the, the only thing I'd strongly suggest for anyone and pretty much everyone is, you know, maybe, I don't know, around, I mean, I, I quit around my th early 30s, but I think somewhere 30s, 40s, you know, for for every individual to kind of stop 
you know, and, and, and take time off to think, maybe take a sabbatical, go somewhere else to another country or, or whatever to put things in perspective. I think that is probably the most useful and, 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 um, um, uh, essential, uh, experience of my life. And, and I figure that at any point, if I feel like I'm feeling dreary, I'm, you know, kind of losing the spark of life, whatever, I know it's perspective. I know it's in my mind. So, you know, if I can't do it where I am, then I'll shut down and, and go somewhere else for a while, you know, to, to regain, you know, that fresh perspective. So, you know, uh, as somebody said, maybe philosophy is like, you know, pissing in the ocean to raise the tide, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dr. Tedros, I have to tell you, it was, uh, it was extremely insightful, uh, very entertaining to, to hear your story. Um, just very glad to have you on the show. Um, just wanted to say if, if any of our listeners want to get a hold of you, is there a way that they can get a hold of you? And what, what would it be? Um, I guess email is the easiest way. Uh, um, I think it's on my website, uh, ethioplasticsurgery.com. Um, or, you know, my email is getaclue at yahoo.com, which is G-E-D-E-C-L-U-E at yahoo.com. <laughs> yeah, that's we'll we'll make sure to post this on ethiospodcast.com so uh, feel free to go on and uh, get Dr. Tedros' contact information thank you so much for your time um, really appreciate what you're doing and what you're doing to give back to the community um, we really uh, owe you a lot of respect and uh, gratitude for what you've been, uh, been able to accomplish and, 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 uh, and do in the community well thank you and I'm uh... Uh, glad to hear of your podcast. That sounds like a great idea and a, a very useful uh, endeavor to undertake. So I applaud you for doing that as well. Thank you. Thank you very much. To find out more about my guest and to subscribe to the podcast, please visit www.ethiospodcast.com. 